Yeah, hi. This is the Coin Market Recap Podcast. Hello to you and welcome to Coin Market Recap, the weekly podcast from Coin Market Cap. I'm Connor Sefton. We're here to make crypto accessible and easy to understand, interviewing experts about the latest trends. And it's been a busy week. We've got lots of news to tell you about. Coming up, markets analyst Susanna Streeter will break down rumours that Amazon is going to accept crypto payments and will discuss whether Tesla's Bitcoin investment has paid off. Coin Market Cap's Molly Jane Zuckerman will also tell us about the stories that caught her eye this week, including a surreal new NFT collection created by Mila Kunis. And we'll ask Crosstower research analyst Martin Gasper whether momentum is starting to build again in the crypto markets after the recent bearish downturn. But first, without further ado, it's time to look at how the crypto market is performing. Drumroll, please. Bitcoin is up. That's right. Bitcoin is up. But before we dive into what's going on, here's a clip from last week's show. Bitcoin now faces an uphill struggle and could find it challenging to break through $34,000 in the short term. Uh, That didn't age well. Bitcoin managed to break $40,000 on Monday, and that was for the first time since the middle of June. It's returned to this level several times since. There are multiple factors at play here. Bitcoin surged by 15% in three hours last weekend because of a dramatic short squeeze. That's where traders who are betting that Bitcoin's price will fall end up having their positions liquidated. Meanwhile, excitement was building after Amazon posted a job vacancy for a digital currency and blockchain lead. And on Monday, an explosive report by London's City AM newspaper claimed that the e-commerce giant was planning to accept Bitcoin payments by the end of this year. An insider claimed the push was being led by Jeff Bezos himself, and plans were in place to accept other popular coins, including Ether and Cardano. Hours later, Amazon released a statement saying that the speculation that has ensued over our specific plans for cryptocurrencies is not true. But they added that they remain focused on exploring what this could look like for customers shopping on Amazon. Meanwhile, Tesla has confirmed that it did not sell any of the $1.3 billion in Bitcoin that it owns over the second quarter. Some traders were worried that the electric vehicle giant would attempt to sell off its crypto holdings after Bitcoin's value fell dramatically, with Elon Musk raising concerns about its impact on the environment. So, lots to unpack. Joining me now is Susanna Streeter, Senior Markets and Investment Analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Hi, Susanna. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Great to be here. Oh, thank you very much for coming on. Now, uh, there's been a lot of excitement in the crypto markets surrounding Amazon this week, hasn't there? Absolutely. And it seemed to have been sparked by a simple job ad. What happened was that Amazon put out a listing for a digital currency and blockchain product lead. And that led to heightened speculation that the cryptocurrency payments could be integrated onto its platform. Of course, Amazon has lots of openings for blockchain specialists because of its Amazon Web Services arm, in particular, the cloud computing arm. But what really piqued interest was for this digital currency lead job. Now, After that ad was uh, posted, it appeared 
that uh, Bitcoin rose in value. In fact, it had already been rising over the previous few days and appeared to have been lifted a little, but certainly it led to a real frenzy of speculation about whether uh, Amazon could start introducing payments by crypto on its platform. Now, Quite soon after that, Amazon did move and say, look, all this speculation isn't actually true. Of course, we're looking at this. Of course, we're looking into a digital payments and changes in the payments world. And of course, we're looking at crypto as well. But it certainly seems as though there is no initial change coming immediately. So in a recent note, Susanna, you said that Amazon starting its own digital currency is likely to be on the agenda. What would be the benefit of doing this for Amazon? Well, I think, uh, like all the tech giants, I mean, obviously, we've heard from Facebook looking at setting up its own uh, cryptocurrency as well in the past. And central banks are also looking to establish their own digital currencies. Obviously, it certainly wouldn't want to be uh, kept or be on the back foot in terms of such developments. And, um, If digital currencies are adopted, Amazon really would want to be at the forefront. A lot of the interest in digital currencies is all about faster payments, ensuring that uh, the payments uh, realm and these tech giants are staying at the head of the game. And there's a lot of really exciting innovation going on um, concerning the blockchain and payments, not just for Um, shopping, for example, but also for remittances, for people who send money abroad and also have to pay quite hefty fees to do so. There are lots of kind of new entrants into this space and there are lots of new uh, blockchain technologies that are coming online as well. And certainly I think that the tech giants would want to stay at the forefront of this. And this may include setting up their own digital currencies. They have to look at all options. Yeah, Bitcoin probably needs Amazon more than Amazon needs Bitcoin. But with uh, PayPal and MasterCard now starting to embrace cryptocurrencies, you could think that the company might be worried about falling behind, perhaps. Yeah, certainly wouldn't want to Uh, risk falling behind. But what you do have to remember is that cryptocurrencies are extremely volatile. And at the moment, uh, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin isn't a very useful means of payment because of this volatility, the huge fluctuations that it sees in price in just a matter of hours. So certainly, you would want to ensure that the cryptocurrencies that actually that you use don't have this high level of volatility. And it is expected that over time, um, once there are more regulations surrounding uh, cryptocurrencies, um, there will be less volatility going forward. But it's still extremely uncertain because mm-hmm. central banks are looking at establishing their own digital currencies. If they do, it's likely you know they would really put some distance between cryptocurrencies and their own digital currencies. Effectively, those digital currencies would be a digital form of the pound or the dollar, for example, but just issued um, directly uh, by the central bank. And there is concern that uh, cryptocurrencies are causing volatility within the payments world, which is why you have uh, China, for example, um, moving to shut down payments Uh, by cryptocurrencies and even mining operations altogether because it says it's really concerned about how cryptocurrencies are upsetting the the 
the payment system and the financial system as a whole. So mm-hmm. I think still central banks are still grappling with what the advent of crypto will really mean for the future payment system going forward. Uh, yes, and we saw a recent report, didn't we, about uh, Britcoin as well, which I think is a genius name for the Britain's central bank digital currency, ever, if it should ever emerge. Um, you mentioned there the volatility um, surrounding cryptocurrency, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, of course, um, we've seen quite a transformation in the fortunes of Tesla, because when Bitcoin hit highs of $65,000 back in April, on paper, it had um, gained more from this investment in about two months than it it did from selling cars in the whole of 2020. But it's a different picture now, isn't it, with the second quarter results that they've released? Because um, Tesla booked this $23 million impairment charge. What's the significance of that? Yes, well, it's pretty significant, isn't it? Particularly given that Elon Musk has been um, talking up, then talking down uh, Bitcoin and other mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies in quick succession. So yes, as you say, there were eyebrows raised when it emerged in the first quarter that Tesla bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. And because of the volatility in price, it's had to um, write down the value of its Bitcoin holding by $23 million. Now, what's happened um, in between this time is that, first of all, Elon Musk said Tesla would accept Bitcoin as payment and then retracted that, changed policy and in May said it wouldn't accept Bitcoin as payment anymore because of the worries about just how intensive the mining is in terms of energy use. And that change of tack really did lead to uh, the fall, the dramatic fall, pretty dramatic we saw Mm -hmm. of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies um, down from, as you say, that high of around $60,000 per Bitcoin to around 30000 Now, it has since crept up, and that is partly to do with the fact that in a recent debate with the, the Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, Elon Musk said he was minded to start introducing uh, Bitcoin back as a means of payment at Tesla because he thought that there was a bit of a tipping point. Now, we're passing a tipping point because China has clamped down on Bitcoin mining and cryptocurrency mining. It's, it means that more Bitcoin are being mined through uh, renewable energy sources than before. So he says the green credentials are better and match up more with Tesla's green credentials and said he was mindful that uh, Tesla could start accepting Bitcoin again, but it hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can see, though, um, almost the whim of one man is moving this cryptocurrency. And that is why so many in the uh, financial and central bank world are very concerned about just how volatile the cryptocurrency is when it's moved by tweets on social media and Mm -hmm. posts elsewhere. Yes, uh, I think Elon Musk's his big kind of um, condition for Tesla uh, accepting crypto as a payment method again is for miners to have at least 50% of the energy that they're using coming from renewable energy sources, which in and of itself is a very difficult thing to measure. Do investors see Tesla's um, involvement in Bitcoin as a good thing or more of a distraction from its main business, do you think? 
I think it certainly seems a bit of a misstep because investors really do want um, certainty and there's so much uncertainty ingrained in Bitcoin. Uh, I think certainly as far as Tesla investors are concerned, they are much more interested in um, sales and deliveries of the Tesla vehicles because that, of course, really is what accounts for um, Tesla's eye-watering $620 billion valuation. And that valuation is based on future growth of Tesla. And that is all down to the sales of its vehicles and also um, battery innovations and not its Bitcoin holdings. And uh, it has to be said, though, that uh, Tesla beat expectations this quarter. Uh, revenues rising a lot more than expected because it's selling a lot more of the cheaper models um, in it, in the key lucrative Chinese market. But of course, you also have to remember there are plenty of rivals who are revving up behind Tesla, not least uh, the likes of Volkswagen, as well as other Chinese competitors. Interestingly, uh, the most popular electric car in China right now is actually a, a partnership with General Motors, not Tesla. It's the Wuling microcar, which does look quite an incredible uh, piece <laughs> of kit whizzing around the roads on China. So certainly uh, Tesla does have a bit of a fight on its hands. Certainly. So you've probably answered this question actually already, Susanna, but how does Wall Street generally feel about crypto um, investments in publicly listed companies or crypto related companies also? You know, others spring to mind include Coinbase and, and MicroStrategy. Is there a risk that their share prices end up being overtaken by movements in the crypto market or are they seen as a way of gaining indirect exposure to Bitcoin? Um, yes, uh, some investors do see it as a way of gaining indirect exposure to Bitcoin. But I think investors do have to be very wary because many of these uh, companies' share prices uh, do mirror the volatility of uh, the crypto world. And uh, companies like Argo Blockchain, for example, seem to have you know been on a volatile ride just as much as the cryptocurrencies themselves. So investors should be wary. They shouldn't really hold any one share or hold a have a holding of really that much more than five percent in any one share. Really make sure that that portfolio is diversified. So have a core long term investment strategy. And around the edges of that, you know, you can dabble in more risky shares, but certainly uh, don't gear your portfolio up on crypto-based assets without also having a really long-term strategy and stocks and funds that you are investing in for the long term and certainly not just for speculative short-term gain. Certainly. Um, and last question from me, Susanna. Um, you covered business news for the BBC for 15 years. Um, on last week's show, I was speaking to a former Bloomberg News journalist who now covers decentralised finance full time. And I was asking her whether she felt the media was doing um, a good job of covering crypto related issues. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? And do you feel that there's been a shift in the tone of news coverage on Bitcoin in recent months? Are we seeing Bitcoin and crypto being taken more seriously, do you think? Yes, I think we are seeing uh, cryptocurrencies and digital currencies being taken more seriously. And really what's behind that as well is because not just our large organisations taking holdings, but also central banks are beginning to really sit up and take notice and start looking at introducing their own central bank digital currencies. And I think um, 
Also, regulators are stepping in to try and work out how cryptocurrencies and digital currencies fit into the regulatory sphere. And that is why I think we are seeing um, more mainstream media um, taking uh, crypto more seriously. But it has to be stressed that it's still in a real state of flux. There are so many thousands of coins and tokens out there, and nobody really knows exactly um, which ones will uh, have a long life and, and will be existing in years to come. So there is still a certain amount of healthy scepticism around. Susanna Streeter, Senior Investment and Markets Analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Let's take a look at some of this week's other news now. Coinbase has said that institutional interest in Ether is growing, with many large hedge funds and corporations gaining exposure to the cryptocurrency in the first half of this year. The exchange revealed that ETH trading volumes hit $1.4 trillion between January and June. That's a 1,461% increase compared with the same period in 2020. This growth is far greater than the 489% rise that Bitcoin saw in its trading volumes over the same period. They reached $2.1 trillion. ETH prices have risen by 895% over the past 12 months and by 17,962% over the past five years. Coinbase says many institutions now believe the asset has long-term staying power. Recent demand has been linked to the increasing use of DeFi protocols, plans to shift Ether to proof-of-stake and new technology that eases congestion on the network. XRP isn't a cryptocurrency that has a reputation for explosive price growth. In fact, it is consistently ranked as the worst performing major altcoin. In recent months, we've also seen XRP fall down the rankings from third place to sixth. But that all changed on Wednesday when XRP became the best performing cryptocurrency in the top 100, rising by 14% in just 24 hours and comfortably outperforming other coins. Here's the reason why. Ripple, the company that created XRP, made a fairly significant announcement. Ripple's on-demand liquidity service is going to be used as part of a new partnership that's designed to reduce the cost of remittance payments between Japan and the Philippines. As we were talking about with Susanna earlier, remittances typically involve people working abroad transferring money home to their loved ones, and every year, more than $1.8 billion dollars is sent from Japan to the Philippines. But with average fees coming in at 10.5%, sending money from Japan costs almost twice as much as it does in other major economies. Ripple hopes this new partnership will make things cheaper and create a compelling new use case for XRP. Robinhood has raised $2.1 billion in an initial public offering, meaning that it's now going to be listed on the stock market. This gives the popular trading app a valuation of $31.8 billion. A total of 55 million shares were sold at $38 each, but this price is at the lower end of what analysts were expecting. Robinhood is especially popular with millennials and was at the heart of the surge in meme stocks earlier this year, which saw GameStop's share price balloon from $17 to $483 in the space of a month. However, it did cause controversy and upset the Wall Street Bets Reddit group when it imposed trading restrictions on GameStop. Up to 35% of the shares generated by the IPO have been reserved for people who use the app. Robinhood has also become a big player when it comes to crypto trading, and 6% of the entire company's revenue in the first quarter was just from Dogecoin transactions. 
The company, at the heart of one of the biggest ransomware attacks ever, has denied paying $70 million to hackers. Hundreds of businesses were affected when Kaseya systems were targeted by the Revil ransomware group. Kaseya announced that it had managed to obtain a universal decryptor key last week, meaning those who own infected computers would be able to get their files back. But it caused controversy by failing to reveal where it got this key, other than to say it was from a third party. In a statement, Kaseya said that it decided not to negotiate with the criminals who perpetrated this attack, and a spokesman confirmed that, in no uncertain terms, Kaseya did not pay a ransom. It was a headline-grabbing announcement. Back in May, Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buderin announced he was going to donate crypto worth more than $1 billion to help India tackle the coronavirus crisis. Now, this wasn't technically his own money. A number of cryptocurrencies inspired by Dogecoin have gifted 50% of their total supply to the billionaire. One of them was Shiba Inu, which was confident that Buderin wouldn't spend it. But the billionaire ended up surprising investors by announcing that he was going to give 50 trillion ship tokens to the India COVID relief fund. Fast forward two months and it's emerged that this crypto stash may now only be worth $400 million. And just $20 million of this has been paid out to the relief effort so far. Sandeep Nailwal, who founded the fund and is the co-founder of Polygon, told Bloomberg that selling the illiquid asset has been a challenge, as well as ensuring that the money gets to the places that need it the most. Burger King is now accepting Dogecoin in Brazil for something rather unexpected. The fast food chain says Doge can now be used to buy meat-flavoured biscuits for dogs. They're called Dogepa, in homage to the Whopper Burger. The treats cost three Doge, which is worth about 62 cents, and part of the proceeds are going to be donated to animal protection charities. Burger King has dabbled briefly with Bitcoin payments in a number of countries where it operates, including Germany, Venezuela and Russia. This week's Crypto Headlines. And joining me now to discuss all of the week's crypto news is Molly Jane Zuckerman, CoinMarketCap content czar. Hello, Molly. How are you? I'm great this week. How are you, Connor? (laughs) I'm great. I'm just um, looking through um, all of the kind of the rules of things you have to do before you come on a podcast. Um, Oh, oh yes. Down a carbonated drink so your voice sounds funny. (laughs) That's there. That's there. I put... I put my Pellegrino, my San Pellegrino away. It was prickly pear flavored and it I could not wait any longer to open it. Right, so. firstly, weird flavor, but why prickly? Like, do you want a prickly drink? It just sounds deeply unpleasant. Have you never had prickly pear? No. Wow. Well, I mean, now you have something to put on your bucket list. It's a very delicious uh, fruit. I'll make sure I get one in before our next episode, and I'll like just guzzle it down before uh, before we begin. Can we can we can do like a contest. Who can, who yes. can finish it faster? <laughs> I think you might win that. I'm terrible when it comes to downing drinks, but anywho, anywho. Ah, well, we better talk about some serious business. So there's been a lot of activity in Congress this week, hasn't there? Yes, a lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot. Where do you want to start? Well, what I am most interested in is what Elizabeth Warren has had to say about Bitcoin. Yes. So this was a committee entitled Cryptocurrencies. What are they good for? Which I think, you know, has a certain tone about it. It reminded me of that song, you know, that war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing kind of thing. That's what (laughs) I just think of when I see that title. Anyway, yes. Back to Elizabeth Warren. So she had some choice words about crypto, didn't she? 
Well, the thing that I kind of stuck on was how she she said in an interview that Bitcoin is not a good hedge against inflation. Mm -hmm. I just have to say, obviously, I mean, it can't even stay in the same price range of $10,000 up and down for more than a week or two at a time. So mm. it has a lot of uses, but I just don't like when people stick on these things. Oh, well, it's not a good inflation hedge. Okay. You don't have to be Elizabeth Warren to see that. It might not be right now, but it could be in the future. I just think that it's a little, you know, trite to um, trot out these oft-repeated uh, negative phrases. She was talking about the fact that giant banks have obviously created huge problems, but in her view, she's not convinced that crypto is the solution. We've actually got a clip, and we'll have a listen. All the warning signs are flashing. The hype, the volatility, the wild claims that turn out to be false. As the crypto market grows, so do the risks to our financial stability and our economy. Regulators need to do their job and step in before it's too late. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is what you make of it. I like to use it for my very own specific reasons as an expat. Other people like to use it as an investment vehicle. Some people think that it's going to be the money that we'll use on Mars in the future. I just think that she's saying, um, it's like she's saying clickbait. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's uh, moving the conversation forward. So she's written to Janet Yellen and she's urging her to lead a comprehensive, coordinated approach to regulating cryptocurrencies. I mean, that's the thing. One thing that seems to be happening is there's all this talk Every year, we need to start regulating. We should really regulate cryptocurrencies. And nothing seems to get done. Well, what does it mean to regulate cryptocurrencies? In which jurisdiction? And which kind of cryptocurrencies? All cryptocurrencies? Stable coins? Privacy coins? Decentralized exchanges? Decentralized exchanges? How do you regulate a protocol? How do you regulate a piece of code? It's just saying we should regulate all cryptocurrencies is like saying that we should not have any more wars. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, <laughs> yes, okay. It's a, it has, it, <laughs> because it has, <laughs> because it has good intentions protecting yes. people, but actually how that has to be done is not, not just in one, you know, law, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and I should say as well, you know, there does seem to be progress in, well, depends on your perspective, I guess, but there does seem to be some movement in Congress because there's this new uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, isn't there? And there's um, a proposal that could potentially hurt crypto investors. Apparently, um, this bill wants to raise $28 billion from crypto investors by meaning that there will be new reporting requirements to exchanges and other parties. So what it means, essentially, is that a greater number of individuals who interact with crypto will have to start reporting their transactions to the taxman. I think this opens up another whole can of worms about how many people that use crypto are reporting their crypto taxes correctly. So how many mm -hmm. people this actually would affect, as opposed to how many crypto users are libertarians that will do anything and everything to never pay taxes due to their own beliefs. So this bill 
we'll just make them use, you know, more coin mixers and use Monero more often, et cetera. Um, I'm not really sure. I myself have my own personal opinion about the necessity of paying taxes in a certain country. So I think that this will be (laughs) not the best uh, step forward in the crypto industry, but it hasn't passed yet. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, taxes are necessary. Cryptocurrencies, potentially, you could argue, should be treated the same way as gains from other investments. I mean, I guess the two challenges are many crypto traders and investors don't actually realize what their obligations are when it comes to paying tax. And second, um, if you use an exchange like Coinbase, you know, all of your uh, personal information is on file anyway, because of know your customer checks. And Coinbase has been known to be passing on tax information to HM Revenue and Customs here in the UK, the Internal Revenue Service in the US. And, you know, you might get a letter landing on your doormat saying, hey, we know that you've been buying crypto um, and you haven't disclosed that. Um, HMRC's new guidance in the UK says, we're no longer going to accept a defence of, oh, sorry, I didn't know that I had to pay tax because obviously crypto has now been around for 12 years. So we are going to see more pressure when it comes to people and their tax obligations if they own crypto. Definitely. And I would never say publicly on a platform like this that you should not pay your taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there are a number of services. I myself am a Coinbase user, and there is a third-party service through Coinbase where I'm very easily able to calculate how much I owe and to whom. But I will just point out that you said in the beginning of that segment that paying taxes is necessary. And I would like to say, I do not think that paying taxes is necessary. That does not mean I don't pay them, but um, just my personal opinion. Not all taxes, but, you know, there are things that we need. And to need those and have those, we need a tax system, no? No. (laughs) (laughs) Because the alternative is, like, obviously, I have friends in America and know the issues surrounding the healthcare system where they have to pay exorbitant amounts. We are really going off topic. Anyway, um, taxes, necessary in my view. Not all of them, but we need some sort of tax system to pay for the things we need. That's just my opinion anyway. Well, I'm not saying I know exactly what we would do if we abolished taxes. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a plan ready, but maybe, I don't know, maybe next week I'll have one prepared. You can ask me again. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Well, let's move on in the meantime into another matter surrounding the US and Tether. What's been happening there? Well, so this story is tricky and I actually had you help uh, publish an article explaining what was happening on CoinMarketCap Alexandria. Because I remember my very first week when I was a crypto journalist at Cointelegraph, where it took me almost three hours to write 200 words about Tether because of how long and how complicated its history is. Um, In this case, the latest development is that the U.S. Department of Justice is trying to figure out whether or not the issuer of Tether, the stablecoin, committed bank fraud by concealing from banks that transactions that these banks had processed involved cryptocurrencies. I don't think that this is any worse or any better than any other Tether accusations in the past. 
this relates to the earlier days of Tether's operation. These allegations and this the conduct that they're accused of isn't um, recent. It occurred years ago, didn't it? Yeah, it occurred a long time ago. This was back when, in 27 and 2018, mainstream banks were not inclined to take on clients that were associated with cryptocurrencies. And that meant that companies had to find workarounds. And the problem with Tether is the workarounds they found ended up having very bad lasting effects due to some actual fraud and corruption that took place, not within Tether, but with it, with these third party banks and financial processors that they needed to use because they didn't have access to every traditional bank that maybe would not have behaved in a somewhat shady manner. Uh, before the lawyer kicks the door down, um, Tether has replied to this Bloomberg article, Bloomberg were the first to report this story. Uh, Tether said, Bloomberg published an article based on unnamed sources and years old allegations designed to generate clicks. This article follows a pattern of repackaging stale claims as news. The continued efforts to discredit Tether will not change our determination to remain leaders in the community. Uh, and then they stress that they continue to have open dialogue with law enforcement and the Department of Justice. And the statement ends by saying it is business as usual at Tether and we remain focused on how to best serve the needs of our customers. So Tether is pretty adamant that there's nothing new in this report. But yet it's not denying the allegations. It's just saying that they're old, which is an interesting. Uh, well, that's me being nitpicky, but. Well, I mean, if they're saying that, well, yeah, I suppose you're right. They're saying that, that these uh, efforts discredit them. Um so, I mean, you could read that as a dial. You could just read it as, you know, you just carry on surfacing the same stuff again and again, and we don't like it. I don't know. The other thing I'll say is that I always take offense when companies, projects, etc., talk about mainstream or crypto media and saying that they are being clickbaity or trash, which I saw on Twitter recently about a crypto media outlet for reporting something that is not what they want to be reported. Um, I just want to stand up for journalists everywhere where Bloomberg is not writing a title for clickbait with fake news. It just, it isn't. Um, people do want their articles to be written. So Bloomberg isn't going to write a title that is boring and incomprehensible. But at the same time, I have enough trust in our media that no one is out there with a vendetta against Tether. And so to have Tether immediately kind of clap back with this discredit discreditation is that a word with just trying to discredit bloomberg for trying to discredit tether when bloomberg was publishing a relatively neutral news story with like maybe new maybe old allegations is something i just personally take a uh, offense with i think that there tends to be to an extent you know a lack of accountability among crypto businesses sometimes and you know listen i've worked for news websites before and I want to write attention-grabbing headlines. I don't want to write clickbait, but I do want to write something that, like you say, people will want to read. Exactly. So, cheerier news now. Stoner cats, what are they? This story is weird. It's the second time, or maybe the third or fourth time, that specifically cartoon cats have clogged the Ethereum network. <laughs> Just what are the chances? Apparently very high. 
Um, basically what this is, is this is a new television show, a cartoon that is voiced by Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, as well as Chris Rock, Seth MacFarlane, and Vitalik Buterin. Just, have you ever thought you would hear those names together in one I know, it's crazy. And they're all going to apparently be paid in ETH as well. The show has what it's called NFT toke ends. Uh-huh. Uh, See what you did there? Yep. I mean, it's not what I did, it's what they did. They did this. Oh, trust me, it's only going to get worse, (laughs) but carry on. And the way that it works is if you purchase one of their stoner cats, then you will have access to watch the show. Plus what they say, exclusive stuff and fun perks, whatever that means. First of all, I want to say that technologically, I think that anyone that wants to watch the show is going to watch the show. Um, They're going to torrent the show somehow. However, ignoring the fact that people are going to cheat the main purpose of this, this is hilarious. This is just (laughs) absolutely hilarious. It's about Jane Fonda getting high and owning a bunch of cats, falling asleep, and then all of her joints falling into the fireplace and getting all of her cats very high. Yes. And so, again, this is their pun, not mine. Apparently, the 10,000... 420 NFTs that were up for sale sold out in 35 meow nuts. <laughs> um, <It's>, yeah. <laughs> yes. They were they were up for sale at for um 0.35 ETH each. Now at the time we're talking, that's worth about $810. So that means, Molly Jane, that people have ended up paying $810 to watch. A TV show? I mean, is is this is this not lunacy? Well, actually, when I saw that, the first thing I thought was, wow, that's so affordable. I wish that I had bought one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are literally paying, what, like 40 times more than it would uh, a cinema ticket and some popcorn would cost? Yeah, but I would have bought it to resell it. Because if you notice, the <laughs> resale is already in the tens, if not actually hundreds of thousands of dollars not that any have been sold for that much i believe yet but at least they're being listed for that much yeah uh, and of course you know one other potential downside of it sorry to be all negative but it is worth noting that in the the frenzy to get uh <laughs> hands on one of these tokens apparently um users lost about 345 ETH in fees so eight hundred thousand dollars was spent uh, on failed transactions. Well, that's just an insane number. But I think that that goes back to a little bit how I felt about Ethereum, where if I had been aware of the sale in advance and been online at the right time, I probably would have bought one because Ethereum to me feels like fake money and I can just send it away and then I just will get more somehow, sometimes. Uh-huh. And so to me, hearing that it it's... If people had lost that much in pure dollars, I just think the number would have been less. But maybe that's just how I think of cryptocurrency as fake internet money to this day. Well, we actually have got a clip of Mila Kunis uh, talking about uh, stoner cats. So let's have a listen to that. Thank you so much for um, 
honestly believing in this entire crazy concept and idea and being a part of it because it has been a whirlwind and we're so excited to continue down this journey with all of you. Um, we're so sorry that we broke Ethereum, but also, it. Um, uh, sorry, the gas fees were high. I tried to waive them. It clearly didn't work. I'll work better. I'll try harder. Um, we're so excited, genuinely like shocked at any and all of this and just want to say hi and thank you and um, and welcome to the team. And we're going to take a bath tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's a really interesting project and it is exciting what they're doing. They plan to create um, a decentralized autonomous organization or a DAO and then that will allow anyone who owns the tokens to participate in future development. But what I liked, Molly Jane, on their website, they were saying that the power of NFTs to allow people to collaborate with fans and create new things without having to rely on these massive media companies who often take things in a different creative direction. I mean, the examples they give, you know, a way for a wildly talented emerging artist in Bangalore to fund her music video, or an independent animator in Oslo to unleash his most personal work. I mean, NFTs really could shake up the way that TV shows and music is made. But why is this different than GoFundMe? Good question. Um, well, I, I'd say one difference with GoFundMe, and forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I would I would argue that this approach that Stoner Cats has taken actually gives people more of an input in a project than, say, GoFundMe would. So let's say, for instance, on GoFundMe, if um, they were to raise money on GoFundMe for this self-same project, if you were to donate, say, $100, you might get access to a show. Or if you do donate $200, you might get a show and a signed picture of Jane Fonda. I don't know. Um, which will that that'd be worth like $2,000 in my book. But you'll get something in return, but you won't necessarily get a say in the future direction of the project, which I think is what this NFT collection is promising. It's out! Have you watched it? <laughs> <laughs> no i haven't yet is it good i loved it i loved it <laughs> i loved it the, especially the part where jane fonda turns into a cat um she... connor it hasn't come out yet when we're recording this <laughs> <laughs> i think <laughs> this broadcast has taken a chaotic turn if I have watched it by the time that this comes out, <laughs> I would most likely say that I really enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Molly Jane Zuckerman, thank you very much. It's been it's been quite a ride. It's been an experience. It's been thrilling from start to finish. Thank you. I cannot wait to do this again next week. Oh yeah, let's do that. Coin market recap. Making sense of what the crypto markets are doing and why isn't always easy. But now Bitcoin is 12 years old, analysing what's happened historically can give us an indication of what lies ahead. Joining me now to discuss what the rest of 2021 might have in store for Bitcoin is Martin Gasper, a research analyst at Crosstower. Hello, Martin. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Connor. Oh, thank you for coming on. It's great to have you with us. So beyond Amazon, what's been driving Bitcoin up, do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's been, you know, just pent up bullish sentiment about, you know, the future of crypto and DeFi, 
Um, you know, the summer is almost always a sleeper for Bitcoin and, and crypto more broadly, and it didn't help. We had that uh, that spring pullback, um, but I think we're, we're finally seeing the the price impacts of some tailwinds um, from June and, and earlier in July. You know, mainly from um, you know this kind of recovery from the mining crackdown in China, right? And uh, you know, kind of the industry moving forward from this e- these ESG concerns about Bitcoin mining. Um, you know, so what we saw is, um, you know, so China cracked down on these Bitcoin miners. Um, and so they were trying to, and, and, you know, many of them are still are trying to relocate, uh, their mining machines, um, you know, to more friendly jurisdictions for Bitcoin mining. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, really around the world, it's where miners are today. It's they're using sustainable energy or at least a lot more of it. Um, than in some areas of Ch- in China. So we're seeing, um, you know, Bitcoin is slowly becoming more ESG friendly. Um, and so this this definitely helps to s- dispel some concerns that investors had about Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, part of this, we saw the Bitcoin Mining Council, um, which represents a third of the hash rate, um, you know, based on the uh, the data from their members, they estimate over 50% of the Bitcoin network, um, you know, 50% of Bitcoin miners use sustainable, sustainable energy. Um, so I think this is just a, a huge tailwind that is just starting to get priced in. And of course, that 50% metric is especially important considering that Elon Musk has said, um, as I mentioned in an earlier interview, um, Elon Musk has said that 50% um of mining from renewable energy sources is very important for him if tesla Mm -hmm. is going to accept bitcoin as a payment method again um so we've also seen the hash rate go up which is um a promising sign and the crypto fear and greed index has become more positive in recent weeks so does it look like the bear market is over is it too early to say yeah, I think it's uh, it, it may be a bit too early to say, but you know, there's all these indicators that suggest um, you know we're going to trend higher um, the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, looking at these on-chain metrics, um, which which I really enjoy, um, you know, analyzing. Um, you know, one one that kind of sticks out to me there is is the return to Bitcoin flowing out of exchanges, right? Um, and this has timed up, you know, pretty nicely with with the recent rebound um, in crypto prices. Uh, really, since throughout May and almost the entirety of June, we saw consistent outflows to exchanges um, as the price kept, you know, going lower and lower. Um, you know, we saw this reverse around June 27th, and then since then, it's almost been nonstop consecutive days of Bitcoin outflows. Um, you know, so that metric alone tells me that investors are increasingly confident uh, that Bitcoin may have bottomed out and are returning to accumulating it. We've got many people listening who are starting to learn about cryptocurrencies for the first time, find it slightly confusing and are completely lost when it comes to technical analysis. How does it work? What are the methods that are used to kind of assess where Bitcoin is now and where it may be going next? Yeah, so... Technical analysis or TA to me is really just making inference, inferences based on um, you know past price movements, and so you know you can look at the price of Bitcoin, um, for example, and then narrow it down by all sorts of timeframes. You know you can look at the daily price, you know the price over the last four hours or the hourly close, um, and so on. And so you can look at the price action and draw all sorts of inferences, um, you know by drawing trend lines or looking at indicators. Uh, such as a moving average. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm a more of a fundamental analyst, so I personally don't really believe in technical analysis, but understand that there are a lot of traders that do. Um, you know, some of the TA metrics I, I do follow, um, you know, are several green daily candles um, in a row. And we've seen that, uh, you know, just this week, right? I think now we have, you know, Bitcoin has closed, uh, you know, higher for the last eight days, which is almost unprecedented, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, this, this metric really excites me because, uh, you know, in the last, you know, year and a half, two years or so, typically when we've had five or six, um, you know, green daily candles in a row, this has almost always preceded a huge move up. Um, you know, so I think that is what we could see in the coming weeks. Um, you know, and especially you have, um, you know, Bitcoin moves can be exacerbated by how little of the supplies on exchanges, right? There's only, you know, only around 13% of so of the of Bitcoin circulating supply are on exchanges. So when you have a big move, um, you know, can often, you know, pop really high. And one thing that generates quite a buzz on Twitter is this stock to flow model by the pseudonymous trader plan B. Uh, what is it? And in your view, is it reliable? Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, really this, this model is spearheaded by the Twitter user plan B. And it's a calculation, um, you know, based on the existing supply of an asset, in this case, Bitcoin, against how much is entering circulation. So it takes like, you know, the, the current supply of Bitcoin, um, you know, we're like 18, 19 million outstanding right now, and then divides that over kind of the, the issuance rate of Bitcoin. And so what it really reflects is the, you know, the happening cycle. Um, and I believe it assumes that, you know, demand is constant for Bitcoin. But basically, you know, the higher this ratio goes, uh, the higher the price of Bitcoin it forecasts. Um, and, you know, it has held up so well over time. So this is something, you know, I, I personally believe in, or at least it's a good kind of framework of where Bitcoin, um, you know, can be headed because we've just seen, you know, demand either be stable or increase through the years. So I, I think it can definitely reflect where the price could go. Um, you know, right now, the model points to, you know, around $100,000 is, is kind of the, the price it's forecasting um, by late 2021. So later this mm -hmm. year. Um, you know, but right now we're trending below it. Um, so I think that's, that's could be causing some doubt in the near term. Um, you know, especially with this, you know, the huge pullback we had since May. Um, you know, but what I always like to point out to people is that we've seen this, you know, many, many times before where, you know, Bitcoin's trending under the, uh, you know, stock to flow kind of forecast for some time, um, before, you know, popping back up to it or even exceeding it. So, you know, if this holds, you know, we could easily go way above 100,000 to cycle, um, you know, before we kind of uh, cool off and, and return back to the trend line. Yeah, I mean, there have been nerves recently about the stock to flow model, as you say. Um, and he recently tweeted, plan B this is, saying the worst case scenario for 2021 would have been $63,000 in October, $98,000 in November, and $135,000 in December. And that's as a worst case scenario. I mean, does this seem overly ambitious to think that, I mean, of course, you know, we did see Bitcoin really rally um, late last year, early this year. But is it is it unrealistic to think that Bitcoin still has the potential to um, almost quadruple in price between now and the end of the year? 
Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think that's actually you know quite reasonable, just based on what Bitcoin has done in the past, right? So you know, in 2020, you know, Bitcoin, <clears throat> you know, it, it almost did a seven, eight times, you know, through the whole year, and that was really impressive. But the interesting with Bitcoin, you know, looking at past cycles as well, is you know, it always starts going up, you know, at at the point of kind of capitulation, you know, when people start losing interest in Bitcoin and crypto is, you know, there's always some catalyst that pops up, um, you know, that takes Bitcoin higher. And so I think there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of potential catalysts that could take us to these, uh, you know, the, the high prices that, you know, Plan B's model is suggesting. Um, you know, this could be the approval of a Bitcoin ETF, for example. Um, you know, it could be some other favorable regulatory actions. It could be, you know, broader Bitcoin adoption by other countries, you know, as we've seen with El Salvador, or, you know, institutions as, you know, kind of these Amazon rumors, um, you know, earlier in the week had people really excited. Um, and, you know, then, of course, on the macro side, it could be, you know, persistent um, higher inflation. Um, and, and I think in that case, you would really see, you know, more institutional capital flow into Bitcoin because, you know, this is something, you know, every single asset manager, you know, hedge fund is watching really closely is, um, you know, is inflation, this higher inflation we're seeing right now, is it going to be persistent or, you know, transitory? And, you know, Bitcoin stands out at this asset that can benefit from higher inflation, right? It's an inflation hedge because it has a cap supply. Um, it's just like digital gold. Um, so there's a multitude of, of these catalysts that could take us, you know, to these hundred thousand plus prices that the model suggests. Does it get harder for Bitcoin to kind of make these dramatic moves as the price goes up? You know, you were mentioning there that the 2020 gains um, were <laughs> astronomical, but mm -hmm. it's harder, isn't it, for Bitcoin to increase sixfold or sevenfold at this type of price than it would be? back when it was, say, at $8,000 or $10,000. That's right. Yep. It's, it's harder. And, you know, part of that just reflects, um, you know, how, how much capital has flowed into it already, right? Um, and so, you know, as Bitcoin matures, you know, the gains are going to taper off as well, in my opinion. Uh, you mentioned exchange flows earlier, Martin. What are the warning signs and other indicators that can suggest Bitcoin is going to trend higher. What do you keep an eye on as well as exchange flows? Yeah, uh, you know, other good metrics are seeing kind of what long term holders are doing. And, you know, kind of Glassnode uh, is, is the you know on chain kind of data provider that, that has this really good, interesting data about, you know, you have small, smaller entities, long term holders and kind of like what the whales are doing. And, and what we've been seeing since really since, uh, you know, mid to late May is that long term holders are you know returning to accumulation mode, you know, after selling, you know, uh, in, in March, April and May a bit. Um, and so these are the investors who are, you know, most aligned with Bitcoin. They're, you know, most considered, you know, holders. Um, so they take a really long term approach, um, you know, with their Bitcoin investments. So the fact that you know, these sort of investors are, you know, almost back to the level of supply that they held before the May pullback. You know, to me, that's really encouraging. Um, it suggests that they see this, you know, 30 to 40,000 range that we've been in for almost, you know, two, three months as good value uh, for Bitcoin. They think it's a good deal in the long term. Um, and so they're buying back in. Mm -hmm. Another metric I really like are Glassnode's HODL waves, which is basically, you know, 
at, at which time frame has Bitcoin in the circulating supply, you know, last move. And you know, I was looking at this data in, in a recent research report and, you know, just looking at from the end of May, uh, you know, to late July. And what I found that uh, Bitcoin that has been held for at least three months um, increased from 78% of the total supply as of late May this year to 82% now. Um, you know, so what, what that tells us is that investors are increasingly choosing to hold their Bitcoin in the long term. Um, you know, they're not looking for a quick buck. And to me, it seems, you know, the new investors are really becoming more aligned with Bitcoin's ethos, um, you know, rather than, you know, just just trading it um, and, you know, taking advantage of the volatility. Um, and, you know, lastly, uh, another interesting metric is that new entity growth has been increasing steadily, um, you know, especially small holders. And so for me, this is really important because it shows that the Bitcoin network just keeps on growing. Um, you know, despite the price, people still find value, you know, in this decentralized you know, payments network. Yes. Um, and in fact, there was a report, wasn't there, by Crypto.com, which came out recently, which suggested that um, the number of crypto users globally has doubled in six months. I think it's to 221 million, um, which is extraordinary growth in terms of the number of people who are starting to use cryptocurrencies for the first time. Yeah, I, I, I did see that. It's it's very impressive. And I, I think it just reflects, you know, um, kind of more knowledge that's that's just out there. You know, basically, you have all of these uh, individual investors, um, you know, through the Internet, they, they have access just to so much good information about investing, whether it be stocks or crypto. And I think this macro, um, you know, cycle we're seeing, you know, with with the money printing last year due to COVID, um, and then this year how we're seeing inflation, it's pushing investors um, to really learn about crypto, the solutions, um, you know, that crypto brings to the table. And I think we're going to continue to see that over time, right? Because Bitcoin, in my opinion, is one of the you know last truly free assets out there because it follows a fixed set of rules. Uh, it has a fixed um, you know, supply cap of 21 million. And so this brings investors solace that you know, the rules are just not going to change on them, that <clears throat> you know, suddenly there's going to be, you know, they're seeing the purchasing power um, of their fiat decrease every year. Um, and Bitcoin is a solution to this. Um, so it kind of brings certainty in, in these uncertain times. I'm making predictions about What's an X for Bitcoin isn't normally wise, but uh, where do you think Bitcoin's price will be by December? Do you think, firstly, will we see a new all-time high? Will it be along the lines of the $135,000 that Plan B suggested? Is it going to be higher than that or lower than that? Where, where do you think we're heading between now and December? Yeah, I think it's certainly going to be higher. Kind of the number um, you know, I have in my head is, is, is around 100,000. I would not be surprised if, if we end up higher than 100,000. So you know, maybe somewhere around Plan B's prediction. Uh, and it's not too crazy from today's prices, right? We're hovering around 40,000 today. So it's really just a two and a half uh, you know, X, which uh, I think is, is, is quite reasonable based on Bitcoin's past performance. Um, but what I'm keeping an eye on really is just, you know, there's there's so many potential catalysts later in the year. And on a fundamental level, the network just keeps growing. 
Um, and, you know, there's so many ways you can value a network and it, it's very difficult to pinpoint, you know, what's the uh, correct price of Bitcoin today. But for me, as long as the network keeps growing um, and miners are coming back, the hash rate, you know, has stabilized and is slowly ticking up. You know, these are all, you know, good things for the network and, you know, should reflect a higher price uh, as we progress through the year. And last question from me, Martin, beyond Bitcoin, what are the cryptocurrencies that you're excited about at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's really Ethereum and a bunch of the DeFi tokens um, uh-huh. that, that I'm really following with Ethereum. You know, obviously, we have uh, the London hard fork coming up. And, yes. uh, you know, in just a few days, I think it's ne- next week. Um, right. And, you know, EIP 1559, which could be a transformational uh, improvement to Ethereum, right, as, as it'll end up burning a portion of every transaction fee. Um, so this could, in the long run, you know, make uh, Ethereum a potentially deflationary currency. Um, so this is, you know, something that could be game changing to Ethereum's tokenomics. Um, obviously, later this year as well, we have the potential, um, you know, merge between the you know, proof of stake and proof of work Ethereum blockchains as we progress into ETH 2.0. So I, I think this is really exciting and, um, you know, is going to just further growth on the Ethereum network. With the DeFi tokens, you know, we were kind of seeing a lull as a lot of these tokens have really been battered with, um, you know, since since May. Um, you know, even with the recent kind of price jump in the last week or so, uh, a lot of these tokens are, you know, 50, 70 percent off their highs this spring. And the important thing is all these projects, the protocols of the tokens, um, you know, the, the, develop, the developers behind them continue to innovate and roll out new products. And what's especially exciting is that now a lot of these are starting to launch on layer two solutions, um, you know, such as Polygon, Optimism, and, and Arbitrum. And these layer twos really promise to solve a lot of the pain points um, that DeFi had earlier in the year, primarily, you know, very high gas fees. So this was, you know, making transactions, um, you know, on Ethereum or DeFi, you know, not economical for a lot of users. So it was really kind of um, preventing broader adoption. Layer twos fix this. They allow, you know, for, for higher throughput and, you know, lower transaction fees. So I think this could spur a whole new wave of adoption. Um, and as people just see the value of DeFi and how it's, um, you know, could be faster and more efficient than what we have in our traditional financial system today. Martin Gasper, research analyst at Crosstower. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Great to be on. And that's it for this week's Coin Market Recap. I'm Connor Sefton, and thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe to our podcast, and don't forget that we have a daily newsletter that delivers all of the top stories to your inbox. You can also head to coinmarketcap.com forward slash Alexandria for easy to understand features on how crypto works. And if you've got any feedback or questions about what we've discussed on the show, our email is podcast at coinmarketcap.com. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.